And I said, I don't know if the numbers are right, but this person might be my father. And she said, you don't have to check the numbers. She said, that's your father. Just, just look at him. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. And welcome to episode 61. Today I am speaking with Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, Lily. Hi. I have your uh I have your um blog open right now or your website. Yeah. And uh I just want to say very well done. Thank you. On organizing your story. I only got halfway through it, but Fine. I'm really just so appreciative that you're willing to share today. Yeah, I, I think it was Scott I had heard, and you guys had complained that you didn't get enough meal meals on. So, I mean, you know, and so. It's true. We yeah. we haven't. And I see you. I see you. And I'm sure you see me on the NPE forums, the support yeah. groups, right? Yeah. yeah. I see your name on there. I see you commenting. You're involved in the community. You're really involved in the community. Yeah. yeah. But there isn't as many men. No, no, but it, you know, the community is a lifesaver. It's great for uh, people who just at one time thought they had nowhere to go. Exactly. And um, which one have I seen you on the most recently? Was it the after the discovery? Yeah, it's probably after the discovery. I'm actually on about seven different sites on Facebook, and I think three of them are NPE. Part of being an NPE, I found cousins who have Facebook families that have um, Facebook sites that are all cousins that I never knew I was related to. So that's why I'm on so many different sites, just trying to, you know, get a complete picture of everything I can. Oh, wow. And I'm, I'm hearing it. Is this an East coast accent? I'm hearing where are you? Boston. Yep. Boston. Okay. Yep. I'm in Minneapolis. You're in Boston. Okay, so tell me where your, um, I guess, where you started and your family of origin. And kind of um, lead us, lead us through it. Tell me about it. Okay, so uh, I'm from Boston, from Boston's Hyde Park section, and I am the fifth child of six, with three other brothers and uh, bookend sisters, an oldest and a youngest. Um, I, I had a happy childhood. Um, Barely any parental supervision. My father worked two jobs, and when he wasn't working, he was up the bar drinking. And my mother, whose family immigrated from Sicily before she was born, she was taught to, you know, kind of stand behind the men and let the men get away with whatever they wanted to do. So even as little boys, we didn't really, you know, I didn't have to be home at, at a certain time. We just, we hadn't made. But she was a very uh, loving and, and very caring mother. Um, 
in in High Park, like a lot of cities, the houses are 20, 30 feet apart, and everybody has, you know, anywhere from three to eight siblings. So there was an awful lot of friends growing up. Uh, we played hide and seek every night in the summertime. We just, it was a, it was a real good childhood. I am still friends. I'm 61 years old, and I am still friends with probably 25 people that I grew up with in the neighborhood. Not many of us live in Boston anymore, but we, but a lot of us still live in Massachusetts. Um, my only issue growing up was probably with my father. My, I know we call them birth certificate fathers. Uh, we weren't close. That that wasn't my father. My father was a six foot two Irishman, who pretty much kept to himself, and he had a lot of social anxieties. He had to be drinking every day, I think, just to communicate with other people. But he wasn't the kind of guy who came home and picked you up and hugged you and talked to you. That wasn't him. Although it was obvious he loved his children, but he he wasn't a warm, huggy kind of guy. In fact, you you would never get a hug from him. You wouldn't even get a conversation from him mostly unless unless um, you started it. Uh, I lived in the house till I was 23, and I think we probably talked three or four times in 23 years. As he got older with the grandchildren and everything, you know, things changed, and he, he gave it more of an attempt to uh, trying to communicate with his children. I don't know if part of that is because he knew I wasn't his biological son. I don't believe that's true because he was that way with all the siblings. And again, he loved his children. He made sure Christmas, the house was full of toys, but he just wasn't a communicator. He worked nights at the railroad. Then he came home and he went to bed. He'd get up at three o'clock in the afternoon, take a shower, eat food in the kitchen by himself, and then he'd be gone out the door. And we, we wouldn't see him until the next time around. But again, I, he drank a lot. He drank every day. Um, he loved the Red Sox. I hated the Red Sox because he loved the Red Sox. Because they got all his attention the few times he was home during the week. I was very close with my grandparents. My grandparents from Sicily, my Nonu and Nonna, they lived uh, probably less than a mile away. And I would go there often. I would go there. I was as young as seven. And I would get up in the morning and go see them and get a coffee with three sugars at my Nona's house and, you know, get some toast. My grandparents lived across the street from each other on the same street. And I really wasn't welcomed over the Irish side. And come to find out that the that my father's mother, she didn't like Italians, Sicilians. She was prejudiced. Yeah which is kind of crazy that your grandparents would be prejudiced against you. Again, like my father, she tried to make up for it years later. She tried to talk to me at her 50th wedding anniversary and tried to smooth things out. But I was 16 at the time, and I just, I don't know, I'd already gone past it. So that's kind of my childhood. How did you find out you were an NPE? So I took... Uh, ancestry, because I love genealogy. I like to know where family's from and all that kind of stuff. I'm probably the only one in the family that really enjoys that stuff, except for some cousins. So I took ancestry just to see what my 
ethnicity was. And I was happy that I was mostly um, Sicilian-Italian. Sicilians don't say they're Italians. They say they're Sicilians, even though they're, you know, they try to put it together. Okay. Um, that might be a Boston thing, because Boston's, you're either Italian or Irish. Um, so I took it, and all I did was check what I was, the levels. And I was 12 different things, which surprised me, but I didn't really pay much attention to it. I was just happy that Sicilian was number one. Um, and I had a cousin at the time on my father's side, my birth certificate father's side, um, who contacted me and said, Paul, we're not coming up as a connection. And I didn't think anything of it because I had seen a video that said you're only 12% CMs or whatever. And I just didn't think it was a big deal. So almost a year later, in fact, on my mother's birthday, and my mother had been had passed away in 2016. So a year later, in 2019, or 2018, I, I, I don't have the exact years, I don't remember. My sister, my younger sister, had taken a DNA test, and she had contacted me, and she said there was an issue with our relationship. And I, I said, what do you mean? And she said, yeah, there's an issue. Look at the numbers. We're not coming up as full siblings. So I, uh, I went on Ancestry, and I saw the numbers. I didn't know what they meant. And then I went and Googled it and looked up the numbers and saw that uh, we were half-siblings. So then I went back and I, you know, how Ancestry does who's closest to you. Yeah. So I took the, I took the first 10. And out of the matches, I was able to eliminate six because they were on my mother's side. And that left me with four others. So I tried contacting all these people. And one of them got back to me really quickly, a Charlotte Gas. And gas is G-A-S-S. And um, she was close in a relation to me, in relation to me, um, but she didn't know any connection with Boston. And, and I said, that's fine, but th- it seems that we're either first or second cousins, and we'll go from there. But again, I had contacted the top four, and it was a, a Cindy, Charlotte, another Connie, and another person, John Gones. And after that, I contacted um, an, an older sibling. And they knew the entire story. They knew exactly who I should be looking for. They said my father was Al Gass, G-A-S-S. And, uh, you know, I was 60 years old, and I'm being told a secret like this, as yourself and as so many others, I had zero knowledge of it. And I am amazed because my mother was a talker. And I'm, I'm thinking, how were you able to pull that off without me having even the slightest idea? No idea at all. And as, as you know, as so many other, how devastating it is. Mm-hmm. How shocking. And everybody says the, the usual cliches, you're no different than who you are, you're this, you're that, that. But they don't understand the devastation. You've been someone your whole life, and now you're not that person anymore, and you can't fix it. 
you you know you just have to accept it and move on. And it, it's been a couple of years or a year and a half or whatever. And yeah, I'm a lot better now. But you know, as so many NPEs know, it's just it's something that we think of almost daily. Oh yeah. So after that, I contacted my cousin Terry, who would try to tell me the year earlier that we weren't connected. And I asked her again, you're finding no connections? And she said, no, none at all. And then I asked her who else was, you know, on Ancestry. And she gave me the name of other cousins. And I searched them on my father's side, and I wasn't connected to any of them. So it was it was then that I knew um, something was wrong. When my um, sibling did tell me my f- biological father's name was Al Gass, that made me think of Charlotte Gass, the one who I uh, talked to recently. And then a short time after, Connie, who I connected with, she wrote back to me and said she was a Gass also. And she gave me the list of the members of her family going back to her grandparents. So her and Charlotte didn't know each other, but they were second cousins or first cousins twice removed. And then I asked them about the other two people, Cindy, which her last name wasn't up there, and uh, John Gomes. And Charlotte said Cindy was her aunt. I said, all right, so so there's another gas. So out of the four people, I have three gas and one Gomes. And... um, so, but nobody knew Al Gas. Nobody knew that the sibling who I spoke to told me that Al was a sailor, and he was he was he was younger than my mother. I can't believe your sibling knew. You that. know what? And that's that's one part that I'll probably make during during the um, this somewhere along the line is is it was my oldest sister. And I, f- I feel that it wasn't fair for her to be put in that situation yeah. because I look at a lot of the black and white pictures. There's not a lot of pictures of us when we were little. Who could afford a camera back then? But the ones that there's, she's never smiling. And the problem is my mother treated her like a best friend and not like a daughter. Mm. And it's it's tough, but all right. So I got to go on. Where can, I, can I leave that part in where about your sister? Or should I cut all this out? Well, um, no, you can leave it in. Okay. Hopefully, she won't be mad. But you know, it's the truth. Yeah. I just don't. I just don't think it was fair to her. No, I agree. So one great thing about Charlotte Gass and her aunt Cindy, they had their family, the Gas family, mapped out going back, I don't know, 10 generations. They're both from Louisiana, and I guess a lot of people down south love to do genealogy. So I was able to look at all these people, and I knew somewhere in this group was my father. Just I just had to figure out how to find them. I had watched a lot of videos on YouTube the barefoot genealogist, the the woman who does it for Ancestry. Mm -hmm. And she had said, if you give me second cousins, I could figure it out in 20 minutes. So I thought if she could do it in 20 minutes, I could do it in three months. 
Um, and I just went back and forth at how she would figure things out. And one of the things is she went to that DNA, oh, what's it called, the DNA painting? Yeah, DNA painter. Yeah, DNA painter where you put the CMs in. Yeah. So I, knowing that Charlotte and Cindy were niece and aunt, that gave me the direction which way I should go. So I put them, I put Charlotte and Forrest into DNA paint and... It gave me maybe 10 different things. And then I put Cindy in DNA paint and gave me another eight or 10 things. But when I put the two together, when one had to be the aunt and one had to be the niece, it brought it down to five. So when it brought it down to five, I could get rid of a few because I didn't think she was my great grandniece because of her age. She's only, you know, maybe 15 years younger than me. And on the other hand, she she wouldn't be the other side of that, like a, a half or something. Mm-hmm. So I came up with she would be my uh, second cousin and Cindy would be my first cousin once removed. I had to look up the difference there because even that's confusing. But then that gave me a row on Ancestry when I was looking at all their family. I said, my father has to be in this particular row. And I went through it, and I went through it, and I went through it, and I found a couple of people it might be, and I sent those pictures to my sister, and she said she didn't think it was them. Didn't think it was them. And then one night I'm looking back over my numbers, and I go, you know what? I'm off. I'm off by a generation. If Cindy is... This my first cousin once removed, and Charlotte is my second cousin. I, I'm too high. My grandfather's in the group that I'm looking at. So I come down a group, and I start looking through all their sons. And and I come across um, Warren Alton Gas. And I'm thinking, well, a lot of Southerners, for some reason during my research, use their middle name. So could Alton Gas be Al Gas? So unfortunately, when I found, I found a picture of his headstone. He had um, died in 64 at the age of 25. So I, I called my wife down to my uh, office. Uh, my, the family room downstairs that I use the corner of the desk. And I said, I don't know if the numbers are right, but this person might be my father. And she said, you don't have to check the numbers. She said, that's your father. Just just look at him. She said, you know, the, the resemblance was unbelievable. She was in shock. So I took a picture of Alton off his um, gravestone, and I sent it to my sister, and she said, yeah, that's him, but she didn't think he had red hair. And I, and I said, I don't think it's red hair. I think it's a black and white photo that was colored in back in 64, and it's weathered. I think his hair is brown, and, and in the end, that's exactly um, what it was. The other way I found out, I looked at Alton's father and his mother, and the mother's maiden name was Gones. 
So out of my top four people that were closest to me, three were gas and one was Gones. Mm-hmm. So that basically uh, nailed it for me. Yeah, that's your family. Yeah. And again, you know, you know how difficult all this is. Mm-hmm. In between all the emotions and you're trying to get some sleep at night. When yes. uh, you wake up and you're just shaking your head and thinking, is this a dream? Did I dream that? But. I didn't. So I checked where he was buried, the parish in um, Louisiana where he was buried. And it had some writing. It had it had files of everybody buried there. And the, his file said he was married to um, Patty Lawrence, and he had a daughter, Brenda Ann. And I thought, geez, at 1964, I wonder if Brenda is still alive. So what I did next is I tried, and it, and it actually, for some reason, I don't know if they update this, but it said her married name. And it, and it was an unusual name. So I went on Facebook and I found three Brenda Safricks. And two of them seemed like they were the same person, one being an older account. And I wrote them, you know, a private message, and uh, nothing happened, no no response. So then I just kept searching and searching, and eventually I came across an obituary online for a Carl Safrick who had passed away. And when it lists all the names of the um, family members, it said um, West Safrick, whose wife Brenda lives in Vienna, uh, Missouri. So I said, "How many Brenda Safricks can there be?" Again, it's just a, it's not a common name. No, it's not. So I I searched her phone number, and I called it, and nothing worked. Um, the phone had been it was an old number or something; it just didn't work. But it did say she lived in Vienna, and it gave the address. And I went on Google Maps, and it's such a rural place that there was no street view. And the view from above didn't look like much. I couldn't even make out a house. It was in the middle of the woods. But I did know it was Vienna, Missouri. So my next step was Vienna, Missouri has its own Facebook website. And I know doing websites, being admins for different sites over the years, I knew that if the city has a Facebook website, it has to have someone who's assigned to the website that does it, that keeps it updated and stuff. So I wrote a, uh, you know, a private message to the admin of the Vienna, Missouri website, Facebook page. And I had looked at the amount of people who lived in Vienna, and it was only 600. Now, if there's 600 people in the town and each house has five people, what's that, 200, 230 houses? Mm -hmm. So I said to the admin, it was a woman, I, I said, I have to imagine that everybody in Vienna knows each other. And if you, and if that's the case, would you know a Brenda Safrick? And would you know if her father passed away 
when she was, you know, less than a year old, because I had figured that out by how old she was. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, I do know Brenda. I don't know anything about her father, but I do know that um, Safrik is her married name. <laughs> so I said to her, I said, well, could you contact her and ask her to please contact me? I may be her brother that she doesn't know anything about. Wow. So uh, it, it's 1030 at night because since I found out, it was probably that I, that I you know, had a biological father. It was probably three weeks later when this was occurring. And I would come home from work and spend, you know, another eight, ten hours on the computer just trying to track all this down. (laughs) So I just remember it was 1030 at night. I go to bed. I'm in bed. And all of a sudden my phone starts ringing. And I look and and, and it's Brenda. So I get up. I come downstairs. I go to answer it, but she had hung up. So I called her back. And I told her, I said, hi, Brenda. Um, I asked her about her father. And she said, yes, that, that's my daddy. And I said, well, it, it, I'm your half-brother that you don't know about. And she laughed and she goes, are you serious? And uh, so she put me on speakerphone with her husband and we probably talked for about two hours. And then we continued to talk for the next two weeks every night. And um, it was great. It, it was it was uh, wonderful. Going through Brenda, I had, um, or somewhere along the line, I had found out that my father's two sisters were still alive and were, I don't know, late 80s. And I had tried to contact them, but they they couldn't believe it. Or one of them couldn't believe it, the older one. And um, she would said, it's not possible. Mm. And I said, well, I'm telling you, you know, I, I, or I said through other people that they wouldn't talk to me. Um, it's just not possible. And that's been, what, over a year now, and they still won't acknowledge me, which, we, you know, so many of us know that feeling. Mm. But I also know how lucky I am that me and Brenda have gotten along just great. She's come to Boston with her husband, and they spent the weekend, and we had a wonderful time. I took her around and introduced her to the family, and uh, I'll go back to that part, but there's another part I I have to share with you. During this time, after I find out Brenda's my sister, I'm going to a wedding of my cousin. Now, my cousin, I don't know, Samantha, I think she's 25. But her father, my uncle, and my godfather, he's 79. This was his second marriage and a, a young daughter. So I'm at the wedding, and I, and I walk over to my uncle Sammy, again, who's my godfather, and I know that my wife and his wife have been talking about my DNA situation. And I say to Uncle Sammy, I say, Sammy, care, um did your wife Carol tell you about what's going on with me and the DNA? And he starts apologizing. And I said, what are you apologizing for? There's no need to apologize. And he goes, Paul, Alton was my buddy. 
And yeah, we're at a wedding and my jaw is hitting the floor. I, I go, what do you mean? Alton was your buddy. Yeah, me, Alton, and George Maddox were all stationed in the Navy on the Antietam. And it came to Boston in 1958 for five, six months while it was being restored. I brought Alton to to High Park to a, a party, and I introduced him to your mother. Oh. And I'm thinking, like, are, are, are you kidding me? And uh, but he, you know, and and he was really nice. He said, "Paul, you couldn't meet a finer guy." Hmm. Alton and George, two boys from Louisiana, one wonderful people. I said, "Oh, okay, all right, thanks." And then after that, I had talked to Brenda and told her all that. And Brenda um, had me talk with her mother, um, Patsy, or, yeah, Patsy, who was married to Alton. And she had uh, very nice things to say about him. And she told me how, how he died. He was, he was working overnight on the Tennessee River in a 14-foot aluminum boat running cable uh, in the water. And he went to start the motor. And in those days, the motors had rope. I don't know if you would remember that, but I, I do. No. Yeah, in, when you pull the cable like on a lawnmower, yeah. it was rope. And every, I don't know, once a year, it would break. And that's what happened to Alton. The rope broke on the motor, and he fell overboard into the water. And it was December, and it was overnights. And there's no way you're going to get back into an aluminum boat. You've got 30 seconds before the cold takes over. But she told me about that night. She told me how they came to the house. They couldn't find him. He, He disappeared. They assumed he fell in and drowned. And that was I. Th- that was early December. Um, early January, the following year, a tugboat a mile down the river was pulling up its anchor, and his body was tangled in the um, anchor. Oh, wow! And um, I mean, it's a tragic story. Oh, yeah. But you know, thank God they were able to at least bury him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, I don't, it's, again, it's a, it's a tragic story. It's heartbreaking. And for me, the toughest part I have is here's a, a man, my biological father, who by all accounts, and I've talked to several people now who went to school with him and knew him and just said he was a wonderful person. And he died, Brenda was seven months, seven months old. I was five years old. He never got the chance to know either of his children, and that to me is just just tragic. And I'm I'm not saying he would have me and him would have ever met up. I don't know how that situation was, but my uncle Sammy did tell me and Brenda that he came back to Boston in excuse me in uh, 1959 in September when I was um, five years old. And I have to imagine that he came back to see his son. Oh, so he? You think he knew? He knew about you? Oh, he definitely knew about me. And, and here's here's where we'll go with this. So, um, after me and Brenda had talked, uh, probably a week later, I'm in work, and she starts texting me pictures, black and white pictures, 
And I'm looking at the pictures and I go, Jesus, this woman looks familiar. And then I'm thinking, it, it's my mother. Oh. In 59. And I'm looking, and then all of, a, all of a sudden it shows one aunt, and then it shows another aunt, and then it shows these people at the house I grew up in, in High Park section of Boston, and Alton's in these pictures. So, and it's obvious that my mother and Alton are more than just friends by just looking at the pictures. What happened when Alton died, Alton's father, my biological grandfather, gave Brenda Alton's photo album. Well, I should say he gave it to her when she was five. And in this book, he had in Alton's um, photo album book. Now, remember, he died when he was you know, 25, and he was with my mother when he was 19. So this is six years later. He still had photos of my mother in the book. Mm-hmm. And there were about a dozen, dozen black and whites with aunts in, in the house that I grew up in. And in one of the pictures, she's very, very pregnant. So, yeah, it leads me to believe Alton knew that um, that that I existed. Yeah. And again, the Antietam boat was docked in Boston in 58 for five, six months. There's actually my aunt, um, Alton's older sister, she denied that the Antietam was, was ever in Boston. And she looked it up and she found no history. I did a Google search and in 10 minutes, I found pictures of the Antietam docked in Boston in 1958, explaining why it was in Boston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took me 10 minutes. Yeah. Yep. So uh, I'm very lucky that I have the pictures. I, you know, com- compared to all the stories we hear, I'm extremely lucky. I have a sibling who we get along great. We've talked several times. She, her and her husband came here for a weekend. We met in Nashville. I have a son that lives there for a weekend. I was going to Missouri. She has 13 grandchildren. And a whole family out there I've yet to meet. We were planning on meeting, but then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm soon as it's all over, I'm, I'm heading up there to meet them. And um, it, that part's amazing. You know, you've, you've mentioned a, a couple different ways that you've found all of this out, which is fascinating. I'm just... I'm always amazed when people find this out through using the tools online and becoming miniature experts with genealogy and, and shared centimorgans. And I will, I will um, make sure and add the DNA painter and, and your website to the show notes. But um, it sounds like you were, you were your own DNA detective. You, I know some people use search angels to help figure out who their dad is, who their siblings is. You did it yourself. Yeah, I didn't even know DNA Angels existed. When I had looked for help, um, the deal was they would do 20 hours at like three to $5,000. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's how it was early on. I think the Angels came a little bit, just a little bit after, or I, I had found out about them later. But I, When did you figure this out? What year? Yeah, that's where I'm losing it. Um, so I think it was 2019. I, I want to say um, April of 2019. 
the the other ironic thing I found out about my biological father through my sisters telling tell me there was a sibling problems, but it was March uh, twenty eight, which is my which is my mother's birthday. So I just thought it was kind of ironic that I found it out. I'd like to believe she wanted me to find it out, and that's why it was her birthday. Yeah. <clears throat> I'd like to believe that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Do all your siblings know now? Yes, everybody knows. One of the issues is, you know, families discuss it, and, they, and they'd like to keep it quiet. And I don't blame them, but as we talk, that that puts shame to it. And there's no shame. My mother had an extremely difficult marriage to my father. It was a very trying marriage. Yeah. I think when they both turned 40, they fell in love again and spent the next 30 years together. But it, but it was, you know, he was an alcoholic. He was a wonderful man, he, someone I admire, but he wasn't, you know, he just wasn't a compassionate man or he would never show his emotions. Yeah, I understand. So before all this happened, my mother was first-generation Sicilian, and my father was second-generation Irish. Well, my bio father, his family, his mother's family, Goins, they go back to Jamestown, Virginia. And oh, wow. yeah, and there's there's so many court documents and land that they've owned back and forth. And there's a story about Abraham Lincoln being their lawyer at one time for Melissa Goins, who was like my fourth great aunt. And it was a murder case. And you can look up on Google. It's really good. There's actually a statue of her with Lincoln. It, oh, wow. it, it's amazing stories. The Goins family goes back, and they're a tri-racial family. They're white, black, and Native American. The the history of the Goins family is just huge. It, it's huge. Um, there's, there's Facebook groups. I was talking about I belong to other Facebook groups. There's three Facebook groups about the Goins. And there's one about the Bass family, B-A-S-S, not to be confused with the Gas, which was my biological father. Okay. And the Gas family are Native Americans out of South uh, North Carolina, and they're one of the largest families of uh, indigenous people from the South, from North Carolina. And they they contacted me on Facebook, and sure enough, my DNA connects to to several of them. Mm. So it, it it's just it there the families were really pioneer families. They came out of Virginia and went through the South and ended up in uh, Tennessee and then down to Louisiana. Yeah. And they fought for both sides of the uh, Civil War. There's, it's just huge history. For genealogists, that's a wonderful thing. Okay. But um, I'm having a lot of fun doing the research. It sounds like it. I really loved how you've compiled your whole family tree and the resources you've used along the way. And Yeah. It's, I should I should mention uh, if people want to ask you questions or get in touch with you, how could they do that? So they can go to Finding Alton Gas with two S's, 
which is the website that tells the story. And down on the bottom, there's my email, maybe my phone number. I don't really remember, but there's a way to contact me through there. I'm going to make sure and add that as another link in uh, this episode's show notes. Okay. And is there anything else you wanted to share? No, just that, just that I, you know, there's a lot of people along the way that I had to thank, you know, besides my siblings, my wife and my kids who have all been supportive and my cousin, Mark Lyles and, and Charlotte, Charlotte was a huge help. And, uh, you know, that's basically it. A lot of people along the way who helped me out and heard my story and expressed their thoughts on it and 99.9 all welcoming and I'll take it. Yeah, really? Yeah, no, I, I can't complain. Mm. I do, like a lot of us, I, I do think about the aunts off, you know, way too often, but that's just, you know, I just, that is so unfair to so many of us to not even, that we are family, whether they want to believe it or not. But, you know, they're also from a different time. Yes, and I, I'm finding that the um, the different time, the, the, there's so much distrust and suspicion around the technology of DNA and yeah. Yeah. I see this beautiful picture here of you and your sister, Brenda. Yeah. I was going to say she had a good time. She, when she first came to Boston, she didn't know what to expect. She had no idea. But um, we went to High Park so I could show her the house where the black and whites were taken, which was great. And then the next day or later on that night, we went to my sister has a restaurant. My sister and my sister-in-law owner a restaurant down in Cape Cod in Chatham. And when we sat down for dinner, the waitress brought over an appetizer and it was a Cajun appetizer and it was on the menu and it was in Brenda's honor. So she was tickled pink, which, which was great. And, but, um, so they stayed for the weekend and they left and she wrote a note that I keep at my desk. And she said to Paul and Judy, thank you for, the food, the fun, and most of all, the family. Everybody was so welcoming. I love our story. And it is, it's her story as much as it's mine. And um, she leaves the note with saying, I can't wait to sh show you Missouri. So we will go to it and enjoy it then. Paul, thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome, Lily. And uh, thanks for all you do too, because, uh, you know, your podcast helped me. I will see you in the forums. Okay. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Paul for sharing today. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE that would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.